please open up in your Bibles to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking in verses 7 through 16 today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 16. I'll give you a moment to find it in your copy of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 16. If you'll follow along as I read, this is the Word of God. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, and this is your word. Father, it is completely true. It is breathed out by you. It is without error. It is useful for us. Father, I just pray that you would speak the truth of your word into our hearts today. Father, use your word in us to root out any sin that is there. Use your word to... Convict and lead us to a godly repentance where we turn from sin and look to Christ. Father, use your word to encourage us, to remind us of how much you have loved us in Christ. And Father, use your word to draw us closer to you. Father, as we are led to put Your Word into practice in our lives by the power of Your Holy Spirit at work within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been thinking about this call on our lives to be godly. 
to train for godliness. And to be godly requires the work of God in our lives. You can't grow in godliness by yourself apart from the work of God, and neither can I. We need God to grow us. But there are ways that He has given us by which He grows us. And we are to engage in those exercises, if you will, so that we then can receive His grace in our lives to grow in our salvation. God wants you to grow, Christian. He doesn't want you to stay the same. He doesn't want you to be the same tomorrow that you were today, or are today, I should say. He doesn't want to leave us how we are. He wants to keep growing us in righteousness and holiness and godliness in our lives. There are a few different categories of how He does this. We've used this illustration of a gym, and so we'll use it once more. You walk in, you see all of these different ways of exercising, but if you can think about them in a few different categories, it won't seem quite so overwhelming. You say, Zach, what do I need to do to grow in godliness? I would say this, you need to spend time in God's Word. There's all different ways you can do that, but you've got to get God's Word into you. That's the first category, delighting in God's Word. The second category is spending time talking with God. Drawing near to God in prayer. We fill our minds with His Word and then we communicate back to Him through prayer. We delight in God's Word and we draw near to God through prayer. Those are two categories. I want to share with you today a third category of spiritual growth in our lives. And just like the other categories, there's all different sorts of Ways we engage in this. There are also different sorts of exercises that would fall under this umbrella of fellowship. So what I want us to be drawn to today is this way of growing in godliness that we're going to call devoted to fellowship. Devoted to fellowship. When my oldest daughter, who is four now, um, who... She thinks she's older than that, but she's only four still. When she was probably about one, I guess, maybe two, she started talking. She started talking from a pretty young age. And uh, I don't remember what her first word was, but very quickly she put together a phrase. And we heard it. My wife and I heard it over and over and over. Some of you may have heard it in the past. But she put together this phrase, and it was this. I won't do myself. I won't do myself. I won't do myself. She said, what in the world is she talking about? She wanted to do whatever it was by herself. What did she mean? Don't try to help me, Daddy. I can do it myself. It just came out, I won't do myself. I want to do myself. You try to help her put on some clothes. I want to do myself. You try to break. I want to do myself. You try to do. I want to do myself, Daddy. I want. To, I want to do. You don't know. You don't know how to do that. It doesn't matter. I'm gonna do it myself. She's very independent. Not not, not anything wrong with that. Uh, but the emphasis. It was so funny. The way she said it was on myself. It just got. It, it just grew. And she got that myself. I mean, it was it was loud. I want to do myself. I want to do myself. My concern, not that. A one-year-old says that she wants to do things herself. My concern is that too many Christians have that same attitude when it comes to spiritual growth. 
I want to grow. And I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it myself. The truth, though, is that you can't. And I can't. No one can. And, and I know what maybe we're thinking. So this is what I would think. Well, of course I can't do it myself. I need God. You just said that. Zach, I can't do it myself. I need God. And I'll say, yeah, you're right. But you don't just need God. You need one another. And I need one another. And sometimes that's hard for us to admit. Because we like to do things myself. But when it comes to growing in godliness, we can't do it myself. We need one another. Fellowship with God's people within the context of a local church is essential for growing in godliness. Fellowship with God's people within the context of a local church is essential for growing in godliness. Now, I'm going to use this word fellowship, but you're not going to see this fellowship. You didn't see this word fellowship in the passage that I just read. So where are you getting that word fellowship from? Well, I'm getting it from the Bible. Specifically, I'm getting it from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read this. And they, these are the new believers, right? Jesus has ascended back into heaven. Peter and the apostles have preached the Pentecost. And 3,000 souls were added to their number. 3,000 people were saved. And immediately it says, and they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, if that's what they did, devoted themselves to the fellowship, the first Christians, what does that mean? What does it mean that they devoted themselves to the fellowship? Well, there's lots of places in God's Word that we could go to think about and learn about what it means to devote ourselves to the fellowship. What I want to do is give you a, a quick definition of fellowship, and I want us to dive into this passage and see how this passage written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, helps us understand what it means for us to fellowship together and how that then is a part, an essential part, of us growing in our walk with the Lord, growing in godliness. Let me give you a, a, a quick definition. Fellowship is the intentional relationships among Christians, primarily within the context of a local church, where the goal and outcome is growing in godliness for the glory of God. Say that one more time. Fellowship is intentional relationships among Christians, primarily within the context of a local church, where the goal and the outcome is growing in godliness for the glory of God. A little different than sitting across the table, eating dinner with one another, talking about the weather and whatever else we want to talk about. Oftentimes we say we fellowshiped when we've done that. But not really. Anyone can do that. But fellowship happens with Christians. Christian fellowship is intentional. You have, to, you have to want to do it. You have to work at it. It involves not just you, but other people. You and other people in relationship with one another. It can happen outside the context of the local church. I can fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ that may go to another church or even that lives on the other side of the world. But primarily, Christian fellowship happens within the context of a local church because that's where our deepest Christian relationships are found. And the goal then, 
and not I would and I added this word outcome because it's not just a goal. But if we are engaging in fellowship, then we will be accomplishing this goal is growing in godliness for the glory of God. So if I have a close friend who is a Christian and the result of our relationship is not growth in godliness, then we really aren't fellowshipping with one another. If I'm not more like Christ, and that Christian or brother and sister is not more like Christ, then we may be getting together, we may be talking, we may be having a good time together, but we can't say that we have fellowshiped with one another. What, is, what, is, what does that look like in the context of the church? Again, lots of places we could go in God's Word. I want us to spend just a few minutes in this passage in Ephesians. Now, this is a little bit longer passage. There's a lot here. We're not going to have uh, the, the time to, to unpack every little bit in this passage. So you may walk away going, uh, what about that? And that's okay. Um, you can, uh, it's okay to walk away from a message, from a sermon with, with more questions. Um, that's fine. But I want us to look at this passage and, and, and notice five truths regarding the interconnection between your spiritual growth and your fellowship with the church. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, we see God's plan of salvation culminating in the lordship of Christ over everything. That's the passage. Part of that passage is what I read uh, earlier at the beginning of the service. Then in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see how God saves and how he builds his people. And there it, it, it ends in chapter 3, focused on the church being a central part of God's plan of gathering His people and redeeming them. Then in chapter 4, there's a, there's a, a, a turn that the Apostle Paul makes. Chapters 1 through 3 is, is about what we need to know. Chapters 3 through 6 is more about how we live in light of what we know about God. The directives and the commands begin in chapter 4. If you'll skip ahead just a little bit, Look at verse 17. I'm just going to read for a moment and notice that he's he's talking about a life of godliness and calling them to this. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him or taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Then he gives practical ways that we put off the old self and put on the new self. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And we can keep on reading all the way through chapter 5. Practical ways 
that we put off the old self and put on the new self. What's another word for that? Godliness. He, he's going to spend the rest of, his, of this letter talking about practical ways that we live godly lives. just on a day-to-day basis. But between the teaching about Christ and salvation and, and Him being Lord over the church, and all of these commands to not lie and not let corrupting talk come out of your mouth and don't be bitter and don't slander and gossip, right in between, he, he, he does this interesting thing. He grounds our godliness in our fellowship with one another in the local church. And that's what he does really in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We're going to pick up in verse 7. Verses 1 through 6 is about how we need to be unified as the body of Christ. But then he's going to say, but, in verse 7, but we have diversity in the unity. Truth number one, fellowship with the church points you to Jesus as the supreme victor. Fellowship with the church points you to Jesus as the supreme victor. Notice verse 7. He says, but grace. He's been talking about how we're unified. We are one in the body of Christ. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What does that mean? Well, here, that that. But that transition there, it's telling us that even though we're unified, we're still different. And that's a good thing. There's diversity in the unity. The unity of the church doesn't cancel out the diversity. And then that word grace. Now, this is not speaking about the grace of salvation in our lives. Otherwise, we may think, so he gave some people more salvation than others? No, that's not what it's talking about. Sometimes the word grace is used not to refer to our salvation, but to refer to specific callings on our lives. Uh, Notice an example of this. Three times um, back in chapter 3, Paul uses this word grace in that context to refer to himself. Look at verse 2. He says, assuming, chapter 3, verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's not talking about salvation He's talking about, verse 3, how the mystery was made known to be my revelation as I've written briefly. And then he goes on to talk about how God called him specifically to take this gospel news to the Gentiles. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Not saved by God's grace. He's talked about that in chapter 2. But, but he's saying I was made a minister of the gospel by God's grace. And you can see it again in verse 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So go back to verse 7 of chapter 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul wasn't the only one who was given a measure of grace to serve the church. Every one of us have been given a measure of grace to serve the church. It's different for each of us. It's according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want you to notice then verse 8 through 10. He kind of seems to start talking about some weird stuff before he picks back up with his train of thought in verse 11. Verse 8 through 10 is like, whoa, what just happened? We're talking about grace given to us and Christ's gift, and he's going to pick right back up with these gifts in verse 11. What's going on in verses 8 through 10? Well, he quotes from Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. He says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. 
In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Let me, let me do my very best just to make this as simple as I can. Jesus has given us gifts in the church. He has gifted us to serve one another, as we'll see in a moment, to build up the body of Christ. Well, how does he do that? Well, Paul takes this conquering king language from Psalm and applies it to the gifts that God gives us in the church. In other words, he's saying this, the one who ascended, descended. So when he ascended on high, talking about Christ, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Well, who is this talking about? Well, if he if this one in Psalms ascended in order to ascend, you first had to descend. Well, guess what? That's exactly what Jesus did. He left glory. He left heaven. He descended to the lower regions, to earth. He came down to earth. We are lower than the heavens. And what did he do when he was here? He conquered the enemy. He went to the cross and he rose up from the grave. Now, what happens when the conquering king wins the battle? He gets the spoil. He plunders the enemy. In fact, if you go back to Psalm chapter 68, instead of it saying he gave gifts to men, it says that he received gifts from men. Does that mean Paul misquoted this verse from Psalm? No, it's actually the same thing. Because here's what would happen. When the one who won the battle gathered the spoil of victory, he received it unto himself, and then you know what he turned around and did? Share it with his army. Share it with those who belong to him. So Psalm chapter 68 says Christ received gifts. He received the spoil. And then Paul says, you know what he did with that? He gave it away. He has gifted us. And he ascended back to the Father, leading a host of captives, probably referring to demons, those that he defeated. And in so doing, he has gifted you, Christian, with specific gifts to serve the church. Now, here's the point that I want us to see here in these verses. Notice verse 10. Notice where Paul leads us to before he transitions back to talking about these specific gifts. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That's That takes us right back to chapter 1 that I read earlier in our service where it says in chapter 1, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's what I think Paul is doing here, at least one of the things he's doing. He interrupts his train of thought, speaking about gifts in the church, to talk about the supremacy of Jesus. When we think about gifts... Our focus shouldn't be on me. It should be on Jesus because he's the one who has given them. And the way that he has given them to us is by conquering the enemy on our behalf. So I think here's what Paul is doing in verses 8 through 10 as he's introduced this thought of grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Our gifts point us to Jesus as a supreme victor who has conquered the enemy and shared the spoil. Jesus gets the glory. So when we talk about our gifts within the church, the immediate thought should be the glory of Jesus, the supremacy of Christ. 
I can't do what God's called me to do if Jesus had not come and won the victory on my behalf. And you cannot do what God has called you to do within the context of church of the church if Jesus had not come and won the victory on your behalf. So the very first thing we see here in this passage is that fellowship with the church points us to Jesus as the supreme victor. And as we fellowship with the church, as we see and benefit from others' gifts, and as we use our gifts to benefit others, our focus will be placed on Jesus as the supreme victor because we'll say, He did it! He did it! He did it! And here's what happens. When our focus is continually placed on Jesus, we grow in godliness. I mean, that's what it means to be godly. To have our eyes fixed on Christ. So, just, just knowing that you've been giving gifts and I've been giving gifts to serve in the church, and when you see me use my gifts and I see you use your gifts, it just points us right to Christ because He's the one who has done it. And therefore, we can grow in godliness. Truth number two is this. Fellowship with the church provides you with gifted trainers. Fellowship with the church provides you with gifted trainers. Now, Paul's going to jump back on that train of thought. He kind of interrupted it with verses 8 through 10. Introduced it in verse 7, interrupted it in verse 8 through 10 to lead us to the supremacy of Christ. Now he's going to jump back on that train here in verse 11. And he gave, right? Here's that language. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11, and he gave. Now there's all sorts of different gifts within the context of the church. But here, Paul focuses in on really we could say one, though he's going to use some different categories. Some of these don't apply anymore. But he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or could translate that the shepherd teachers, really as one word, shepherd teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Listen, you and I are to train for godliness. But guess what? God doesn't say, walk into the gym and just you're on your own. He's actually given us trainers. He's given us people that can help us grow in godliness in the context of the church. I'm going to call these equippers because notice what their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. These shepherds or pastors and teachers like trainers in a gym are there to help you evaluate your current physical condition teach you how to use that exercise equipment, warn you about unhealthy training practices, hold you accountable, celebrate your progress, challenge you to keep pushing forward and encourage you along the way. God has given the church individuals to serve as the trainers and they are the pastors, teachers in the church. This office that he focuses on, often called overseers or elders or shepherds within the church, And their job is to equip so that everyone can work towards building up the body of Christ. So what's their tool? What are these these shepherds, teachers, what do they use? They use the Word of God. When we see instructions in Scripture given to pastors about what their job, what their role, what their responsibility is, it is always centered on very clearly the proclamation of, of the Word of God. Just to give you an example of that, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he tells Timothy, who is a, one of these pastor teachers, evangelists here at this church, 
He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect, here's that word, the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy's primary job is to read, teach, and exhort, which is to give strong encouragement from the Word of God. And then, if that wasn't enough, Paul writes another letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy. And you know what he says there? He says this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of, and here's that word, evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now listen, I know most of you have not been called to this role in the church. So what does this have to do with, with, with you then? If God has specifically gifted certain individuals for the preaching and teaching of the word and has commanded them to do that as their primary responsibility then what that means for the rest of the church is that the church needs to sit under the regular preaching and teaching of the word of God. He wouldn't have gave, he wouldn't have given certain individuals those gifts if it would not benefit the church. Perhaps you're unsure what your gift is or how to use it to build up the church. Perhaps you lack confidence in your knowledge of God and in the ways of God. Perhaps you lack spiritual maturity and godly behavior in your life. Perhaps you want to grow in godliness, but you need some help knowing how. Listen, God hasn't left you by yourself. He's given individuals certain giftedness. And remember that giftedness is not some inward skill that I just have because I'm really good at this. It's a gift that comes from God. He gets all the glory for it. But he's given certain individuals that giftedness to provide spiritual training and equipping. The problem is sometimes we don't take advantage of it. How do you take advantage of the trainers, the equippers that God has given you? Well, first you gather with the church. You sit attentively and regularly under the teaching of the word. You meditate on their teaching throughout the week with your Bible open and the notes that you took. Pray about what you learn. You try to put into practice what you learn. When you don't understand, you ask questions. I love it when people say, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're talking about. Because that, that means they want to understand. right? We're not always going to understand everything from God's Word. So you ask questions when you don't understand. You engage in discussions and prayer with fellow members regarding that teaching and equipping. Don't expect to grow, Christian, if you distance yourself from the trainer's that God has given you. 
as we fellowship the church, we're able to benefit from those whose work is using their giftedness to help the church grow in godliness. But here's the thing. It's not just the responsibility of the pastor teachers to help people grow. Notice that it says that their responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the church. That means everyone in the church is to be being equipped so that everyone in the church can serve one another. That's what ministry means. The work of ministry is to serve, serve one another so that the church is built up, so that growth happens in our lives. Listen, Christian, God wants to use you in the lives of other people to help them grow in godliness. And God wants to use other believers in Christ, not just pastors, but other brothers and sisters in Christ to help you grow in godliness. So truth number three is this. Fellowship with the church pushes you towards Christian maturity. Fellowship with the church pushes you towards Christian maturity. Notice verse 13. That as the trainers, if you will, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, what's the goal here? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Remember what I said earlier, God doesn't want to leave you where you're at. He wants you to be maturing. Just like I, I don't want my children just to stay where they're at, right? I, I, I want them to learn to feed themselves and not throw their food everywhere. And, and I want them eventually to learn how to, how to brush their teeth by themselves and make sure they get all the teeth, right? I want to do it myself, and they're done, you know? I want them to learn how to do that by themselves. I want them to learn how to get clothes on that are appropriate for the temperature outside and that kind of match and go together, right? Like, we want, I don't want them to stay, stay where they're at right now. I want them to mature. Listen, God wants the same for us. He doesn't want us to stay where we're at. Listen, sometimes when it comes to spiritual maturity, we brush two teeth, forget to put one shoe on, and we walk out the door ready to conquer the world for Christ. Okay? If that's where you're at and your level of spiritual maturity, hey, great. But God doesn't want you to stay there. Okay? He wants you to be growing. And it's in the context of the church where we find this means of growth. Fellowship with the church pushes you towards Christian maturity. Notice the result. When the equippers equip and the church is putting into practice what they're learning, we grow closer to one another as our faith in Jesus draws us together. We grow in our knowledge of Jesus, the Son of God. We grow to full maturity as Christians, living a lifestyle of holiness in our thinking, in our feeling, in our speaking, in our behaving. That is godliness. The church is an essential part of God's plan for growing us in godliness. Listen, it is not optional. It's not optional. It's not like when you go buy a car and you got different options you can get. But they're not really necessary. But if you want to spend a little bit more money, you can, you can get that if it's something that you think would benefit you. But if not, you can do without it. It's not optional. It's essential. It's like the wheels on the car. It's like the engine under the hood. You've got to have it or you're not going anywhere. And listen, we're not going to grow in godliness if we are separate from God's people. 
God began a good work in us and is working to complete that good work. And the church is the training ground in which he is conforming us into the likeness of his son, which is the goal of his good work of salvation in us. Listen, Christian, God has not saved us to operate as loner Christians. Jesus shed his blood to join us together. I mean, just turn your eyes back real quick to chapter 2. Uh, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us, notice this, both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. The hostility of what? Hostility not only between us and God, but the hostility between us and one another to bring us both to Him. Here He's talking about both being Jews and Gentiles. But notice that Jesus shed His blood so that we would be united together and together we could grow in Christ's likeness. We need one another pushing us, sometimes gently, sometimes forcefully towards Jesus, towards maturity in Christ. Listen, you cannot expect to grow in godliness if you distance yourself from fellowship with the church. It's like a hand cut off from the body. A Christian who separates himself from the church cannot expect to grow, but would only expect to decay. You know that? You can't you cut your hand off and put it to the side. That hand's going to wither away. And we're the same way. If we disconnect ourselves from the body of Christ, we can't expect spiritual maturity, only spiritual decay. You can't stay connected to the head. Remember, the head is Christ. You can't stay connected to the head without also staying connected to the body. When we fellowship with the church, we place ourselves around people who will push us towards godliness. There's a question I want to just pose for you, and then we'll move on to the next truth. Are you, Christian, being used by God to push others towards godliness? Listen, I need you to push me towards godliness, but I've also got to be invested in your life pushing you towards godliness. God's gifted you. You say, God can never use me to help somebody else grow in their faith. Yes, He can. He's given you gifts. He's given you abilities. He has His Holy Spirit inside of you. And He wants you to help others grow in their walk with the Lord. That happens as we gather together and we get involved in one another's lives. And sometimes it's messy. Right? It means being vulnerable. It means being open. It means loving one another and crying with one another and laughing with one another sharing with one another. And keeping God's Word central in our lives so that we can share God's Word with one another. Whether it's in a formal setting like a, like a sermon or in a Sunday school class or whether it's over a cup of coffee talking about life and saying, this is what God's Word says, sister in Christ. This is what God's Word says, brother in Christ. Let me pray for you, right? Let's bring these things together. We delight in God's Word and draw near to God, but not just by myself, but with one another in the church. I gotta keep going. Verse 14, we find the fourth truth. 
And that is this. Fellowship with the church protects you from false doctrine. Fellowship with the church protects you from false doctrine. Notice verse 14. So that we're growing in maturity. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Christian, you sitting alone with your Bible open, reading and studying is a good thing. But, it can also be a dangerous thing. If you don't also sit with your Bible open with other believers who have their Bibles open and you learn and grow together. God has given us teachers and one another. He's given us a church to help us not be carried off by false teaching. I want you to spend time, just you and the Lord, reading God's Word and praying together. But if that's all you do, then you are in grave danger of being carried away by false teaching. We need one another to keep us on track, to keep us pointed in the direction of sound teaching so we don't stray off that path into false teaching. And that's exactly what verse 14 is saying will happen as we use our gifts in the context of the church. It will protect us from false doctrine. It's kind of like those, I don't know the right word, but I'm just going to say this and somebody after the service can correct me if I'm wrong. They're like those rumble strips on the, on the side of the road, right? Where the white line is so that if you start falling asleep and you begin to drift off the road, Hopefully it wakes you back up and gets you back on the road. Listen, God uses the church, one another in our lives, to act as those rumble strips. So I'm sitting there reading my Bible by myself, and I just have this crazy thought. I'm like, whoa, I didn't know this is what the Bible was saying. This is cool. I can't wait to, I can't wait to tell somebody this. This is really neat. And I, and I gather with other believers, and we're studying together, and someone says, well, you know, and I go, wait a second, that's, that's like the opposite of what I, I was thinking about in my quiet time this morning. And then somebody else says, yeah, that's right. Here's where we see that in Scripture. And I go, but what about this? And someone else says, no, 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 Zach, notice this place in Scripture. I said, well, what about this one? No, you, you took that out of context. You took that out of context. What has just happened? I just gathered with the church, and as I was drifting off by myself, I hit the rumble strips of the church and it shot me right back into sound teaching. It protected me from the destruction that comes when I'm carried about by every wind of doctrine. Listen, that's what should happen. As we gather together, we get put back on that path of sound teaching and protected from these deceitful schemes. Listen, the deceiver is real. And he wants us to think that just because I had this random thought about the Bible, that it's God's Word. Or, 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 just, because, or just because somebody wrote a book and they're a pastor, or they wrote a book and it's being sold in a Christian bookstore, that it's, that it's real and that it's true. You need me, I need you, we need one another, so that we can together... Interpret God's Word and decipher what is true and what is false. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The deeper 
then the commitment of the church to God's Word as the only source of authority, the deeper those rumble strips are to protect members from drifting into false teaching. So we center our gatherings on the Word of God so that we will be protected from these wrong, untrue, false doctrines. Fellowship with the church helps you grow in godliness by protecting you from false doctrine. Let me give you the fifth and final point. Fellowship with the church positions you to play your part in helping the body grow. Fellowship with the church positions you in such a way that you can play your part in helping the body grow. Much we could say about these last two verses. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christian, you have a role to play in the church, growing in godliness. God intends for you, like this isn't just given to pastors here. God intends for all of us to speak the truth to one another. The truth is God's Word. We're to speak the truth to one another. God intends for you to speak and act in love toward one another. God intends for you, Christian, to lovingly push one another to Jesus as a supreme head of the church. God intends for you to use the gifts that He's given you to help others grow. But we can only grow properly, notice what it says there, when each part is working properly. We can only experience the maximum growth when each part is doing its part. And so I wonder, are you doing your part, Christian, in helping the body grow? The body of Christ. I want you to be encouraged. God is ready to use you if He's not already using you. To help the church grow in godliness. The people sitting around you. They need you. As a part of this means of growing in godliness in their lives. I need you. I need you in my life. You need me. We need one another. If we are going to grow up into maturity into Christ. Listen, salvation comes first. You can't mature in a faith you don't have. You can't become like Jesus if He is not the Lord and Savior of your life. Paul has dealt with that in chapter 2. Go read it. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Following the course of the air, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the coming ages, we might experience the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not by your works. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Listen, coming to church, being involved in church does not save you. You are saved by God's grace. 
You are dead in your sin. You need to be made alive through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if that's you today, get the, you got you got you got you got to be saved before you say, "All right, I want to I want to be a part of a church and I want to grow." And you need to repent of your sin. And you need to trust in Christ alone for salvation. But then, verse ten in chapter two, after verses one through nine, says that God has given us work to do. It says that we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus with good works that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So once you are saved, Christian, God has given you a life of godliness to live out. But if we're going to live that out, we've got to be connected to the body of Christ. Listen, no football player walks out on the field by himself, all alone, right? You don't do that. That would be either ignorant or it would be arrogant. Don't be ignorant, Christian. Know that God has designed you to grow in godliness through fellowship with the church. But also, Christian, don't be arrogant. Humble yourself under the supremacy of Christ, accepting as truth God's Word which says that you and I need the encouragement and accountability of other Christians. I, I, I know me. I don't know you and your exact personality and, and your thoughts about church. I, I know me. So let me just share me with you for a moment and maybe it will... It will help you examine yourself. I know for me, my, my tendency, apart from, and, and I'm, I'm the pastor of a church, right? So listen to what I'm going to say. Not because I'm a pastor, but because it's going to maybe shock you. Because what I'm going to say, you wouldn't think somebody is pastor of a church. My tendency would be to drift away from the church and... Say, I can do it myself. Just part of my personality. I'm not a super big extrovert. I, 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 I enjoy, I love being around people, but at the same time, I'm, I'm pretty content just to, to be by myself. I love to read and I love studying God's Word. And I could sit for, for hours and, and read and study God's Word. And so the temptation would be for me, maybe not for you, but for me, to say, can do it myself i love you jesus and i want to live for you and i've got your word and i can talk to you that's all i need but god's word says no zach that's wrong that's not all you need and i know it's not all you need and so i have instituted the church and i sent my son to die for the church And when I saved you, I didn't just join you to me. I joined you to my people. And I have given you a gift to be used not for yourself, but for building up the body of Christ. And so God would say, don't give me any of that ignorant and arrogant excuse. Zach, you need the church. You don't just need to walk in and preach. But you need fellowship 
with other believers so that you can grow into full maturity into Christ. I know my tendency would be, apart from God's Holy Spirit at work in my life, to back away from the church and say, I can do it myself. And I just wonder if maybe that's you today. Maybe you say, man, I, you say, listen, I love Jesus. And I'll say, amen, I believe you. You say, I've been saved. God has rescued me from my sin. And, and, and I enjoy reading God's Word. I enjoy learning. I enjoy growing. I'll say, amen, that's awesome. But somewhere inside of you, you're going, this whole church thing, I just don't know about it. I just, I just want to say this. Because I think it's what God says in His Word. We need the church. We cannot be the people that God has called us to be apart from genuine fellowship in the body of Christ. I don't know where that leads you. Maybe today you need to be saved from your sin. Maybe today you say, I'm a Christian and but I've, I've just, I've kind of walked away from the church. Or, or maybe you, you come, you're here every Sunday, but you, you're not genuinely fellowshipping with Christians. You just come to check it off the list. That's not fellowship. You say, God, today I just need to repent. As, as, as a child of you, I need to repent of my laziness when it comes to the church, whether it's being lazy and not gathering or being lazy when you gather and not being attentive and not looking for ways to serve one another and stir one another up to love and good works. I, I don't know. I, 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 just, I just want you to be obedient. Just be obedient, not me. Just be obedient to God's Word. The church is essential, church. Give it the proper place in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, use your word to challenge, convict, encourage, and change us. Thank you for the church. Help us to see the church as the gift that you have given to us, that it is. It's not a burden. It's a joy and it's a means of godliness in our lives. Father, whatever you're calling us to do today, just help us to be obedient. It's the only right response to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.